Welcome to On The Move, I'm UA's podcast series. On The Move features interviews with folks in the Inland Marine Insurance community sharing their insights and experience. We touch on a range of topics including career development, technical issues, and the all-important Work-Life Balancing Act. Hello, Lillian. Hi, Jason. Hey, how you doing? Doing fine. Thanks so much for joining me as a featured guest on IMUA's podcast today. Absolutely. Absolutely. Excited to be here. Thank you. And to our podcast listeners, welcome to On The Move. I'm your host, Lillian Colson, and I'm joined by Jason Baynard. Jason is an Assistant Vice President of Underwriting at Nations Builders Insurance Services based in Atlanta, Georgia. Born in Silver Springs, Maryland, Jason graduated from Clark University in Atlanta with a focus on public relations and a minor in business. And Jason has really been a valuable member of IMUA's Transportation Committee. And starting about five years ago, he began presenting various transportation or builder's risk or construction equipment related webinars, classes and seminars for IMUA. Jason, as I said, I'm really happy you could set aside some time for this podcast today. Yeah, thank you again, Lillian, for having me. Really excited to be able to spend some time with you. Now that I have you, let's dive in. One of the reoccurring questions that we've asked many of our guests, as well as many IMUA members in general, is how they got involved in insurance. And I've heard some really interesting stories. I've received some very interesting responses from some of our members. One of our members, Tony Falcone, who's actually currently an IMUA officer of the board of directors, admitted he was first lured into the career when he discovered he would receive a company car. That's what really swayed him at the time. But of course, he stayed with insurance because he became totally enthralled with it. How did you get involved in insurance? <laughs> yeah, it certainly wasn't a company car. That That's a great story there. But, you know, actually, like most teenagers at the time, I was naive to the world of insurance. Through my college maturation, I actually ran a small business with a peer of mine. And within that small business, I was actually responsible for the procurement of the insurance. And so that was kind of my introduction as far as working with some retail agents in and around Metro Atlanta in order to secure some policies and really open my eyes up to the underwriting function within insurance and kind of the gatekeepers as far as uh, setting up a policy and, and procuring coverage. Once I actually graduated from college, we decided to let the business go ahead and dissolve, but then was still intrigued by the career path that the world of insurance could take me. And obviously, underwriting was a part of that. And so given the entrepreneurial spirit that I have, I actually began cold calling a few different carriers. Chubb Insurance was one that I was familiar with through some of my business dealings. And so was actually able to land a role as an underwriter assistant with Chubb and my career kind of took off from there. That's great. And it sounds like it was a very organic and gradual process for you. Yeah, exactly. A lot to learn, right? And really enjoying the fact that overall insurance is kind of a reflection of the economy at large. And I was really attracted to that and really finding ways to be creative and provide coverage for our partners. With that said, my career did start in the casualty space, more GL pollution, workers' compensation, excess policies. But over time, as I kind of transitioned throughout my career, I landed in a role where I was responsible for doing motor truck cargo and auto physical damage 
insurance for an ENS group within a standard lines market. And so that was kind of my intro to Inland Marine. Uh, but after a while, the company decided that uh, ENS transportation really wasn't their flavor. But again, giving me having the opportunity to work in the motor truck cargo and auto physical damage space, it was almost a natural progression into an Inland Marine career with that same carrier. And then also, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up David Lee's name. We really love David Lee here at IMUA. He was the chairperson of IMUA's Transportation Committee for a number of years, and he's just a fantastic resource for IMUA. You know, with that, you mentioned what drew you to Inland Marine Insurance, and it sounds like once you got involved in Inland Marine Insurance, you couldn't go back. You were hooked. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. So, uh, you know, after spending some time with David, as we worked at the same carrier at the time, he really intrigued me on the line of business. And we talked about a lot of uh, collectibles and fine arts and things he was kind of into and and ways that we could insure them. And we do insure them just kind of depending on what the opportunity is. So over time, I made the natural transition into Inland Marine, wrote that line of coverage exclusively for about six years. And now in my current role, I'm responsible for all lines. uh, And that's going to be both casualty and in property in Inland Marine. But with that said, I really cut my teeth on the Inland piece and really enjoy that. Just given the expansiveness of the property floaters that are out there and some of the unique opportunities that come across my desk, it's specifically relating to the construction and heavy equipment side. Mm-hmm. That's just kind of where I find the most joy in, in performing my role. Do you think there's anything that we should be doing to put a spotlight on Inland Marine Insurance as an attractive career option for young up-and-coming insurance professionals? Because I, I imagine there's quite a few who really aren't even aware of it as an option. Yeah, you know, I think as a whole within the industry, we could do a better job, not necessarily just talking about claim scenarios. I know as an underwriter, that's always at the the top of our mind. It's going to be the performance of our various book and making sure that we're mitigating the risk as best as possible, but maybe having an opportunity to share more success stories where we successfully underwrote a very difficult builder's risk project or some really high limit contractor's equipment and really kind of talk more about how we do and the can-dos that we do to serve the industry space, maybe more so than the results or the downside when we actually have to pay out claims. And so Yeah, I think there's a lot of opportunity to grow in that. I think that there's a lot to be said for Inland Marine because there's so many things that we cover within this space that I think a lot of people just aren't aware of. And likewise, as an outgrowth of what can we do to attract younger people to the industry, how can we do a better job of promoting diversity, minorities, women, people of color, in the industry? Because this is a good career option for women and minorities as well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and even in thinking in terms of the excess and surplus line space where with a certain amount of maturation in one's career, creativity is going to become a big part of being able to put together some complicated risk selection programs. And so bringing in people with a variety of experiences really can only add to problem solving and really being able to come up with recommendations, ideas around limits, deductibles, terms and conditions. So as we can expand, who has an opportunity to partake in the overall underwriting of Inland Marine as a whole, it can only be better for the whole industry. And so I'd like to think that we're headed in that direction. I have a blast with IMUA. I see a variety of different types of people when I go to the national conventions. And I think just having a variety of backgrounds and experiences 
only just helps foster greater ideas and innovations going forward when it comes to product handling. Yeah, and I think just being open to variety, it seems like Inland Marine Insurance is ripe for unique perspectives. That's another way as well, just being open to all these different perspectives. It just makes it a much richer environment. I I completely agree. You specialize in insurance for heavy equipment. What are some ways that technology is impacting the heavy equipment sector? Yeah, so, you know, telematics is a big thing that we're focusing on as a company, and I think the industry is at large. You know, I'd like to say about a decade ago when the usage of cameras and driving (laughs) recording devices was introduced into the trucking world or the transportation or even at some of the construction sites, there was a little apprehension because it was going to paint such a clear picture of liability in some law scenarios where if our insured was at fault, it's going to clearly show that. But conversely, if we're not at fault, it's going to clearly show that as well. And so looking about a decade later, and now that we're even more encompassed by technology, you know, I think that having the telematics, the driver behavior controls in place uh, when, when moving vehicles or moving heavy objects on trailers from a motor truck cargo perspective, I think all of that is good for the industry. Because in the end, if there's going to be a loss, we want to know about it. We want to be able to point to a camera and even be able to quickly decipher, was it our fault? Or if we can create a defensible position via usage of the technology, if it's not our fault. And so I think there's a lot of opportunity there. And, you know, as, as so many other different segments of business. We're all just getting used to this new world that we're living in. And so uh, it's really exciting and things are changing rapidly. And with that, that's a perfect segue to talk a little bit about the COVID-19 pandemic because, you know, 2020 was a year unlike any I've experienced in my lifetime. And many states have kind of went back and forth with relaxing and their restrictions and then in the fall becoming a little bit strict again. How are you and your family doing with the pandemic and what's the biggest way it's either improved or or hindered your work-life balance? Sure, sure. Well, I will say, first and foremost, I am a father of three. And so I do have a, a set of twins that are in second grade and a sixth grader. And so really proud about how the kids are taking on this, right? And almost draw a little inspiration for them. You know, kids, I think, do a great job of adapting to their environments uh, just because of their youth. And so it certainly has been a change for my whole household and especially me professionally. Going into the pandemic, I certainly had the attitude of uh, was a much more of an in-the-office type of guy and would really rather be in an environment that is uh, more conducive of work. Not that I didn't work from home, but all you know, I always enjoyed going in the office where obviously now we've had to shift that and bring that home. You know, the kids are doing as best as they can and mm-hmm. with the online school and you know, and, and and Zoom calls for learning, which is obviously different. I do know that they miss it, the interaction with their peers at school. But you know, we, we try to maintain that way. But then also it's taught me to really become efficient at working uh, from home or through pretty much anywhere I need to which certainly I'd like to think once this pandemic passes, it's only going to help set me up for the future and just future success. Because I like to think the industry as a whole is going to be changing because of this pandemic. I can definitely relate. And I have one daughter. So, you know, with three kids, I know you have probably mastered and figured out ways to, (laughs) you know, like you said, really double down and become very efficient. It's been interesting to see how our lives have morphed from being in the office 
to juggling doing laundry with probably giving <laughs> someone a quote or, you know, it's just, it's, it's just, like you said, having your children in the other room doing remote school. It's been an incredible year. Yeah. I, and I guess one thing that's really unique about this pandemic experience is that it's not unique to me or you, right? We're all going through this together. And so yeah. big shout out to all the wives and spouses out there that are helping uh, us insurance guys across the board kind of keep things rolling because we can get pretty busy and we certainly uh, takes a team to win. Yes, absolutely. I read an article that said at one point during the height of the pandemic, some manufacturers temporarily shut down and that others shifted their efforts away from heavy equipment to produce needed medical supplies. Can you share some ways the pandemic has affected the heavy equipment industry? Yeah, so for the book that I maintain uh, through a partnership with my company, we've actually been pretty fortunate. You know, when it comes to the heavy construction or even the heavy transportation space, a lot of that work has been classified as essential. And, uh, you know, that was accomplished through some of the lobbying groups that support the construction and, and crane and rigging and specialized transportation industry. And so a lot of the larger insureds have been able to kind of complete the larger municipality jobs or whether they're working in refineries or just depending on uh, the class of business that they serve, they've been able to kind of get through. I think for some of the smaller insureds, it may be been a, a slightly tougher just depending on, again, who their customers actually are. But again, I think there's still a lot to be learned from this COVID-19 pandemic and what are the effects going to be a year and a half you know, post the initial identification of the disease, three years, five years, you know, how long is this going to go on? And so there's still a lot of uncharted ground to be covered. But, uh, you know, fortunately, in this segment um, that I'm operating in, we've been able to, to bump along pretty well. I um, know that you mentioned David Lee or a little while ago and that he helped you learn a bit more about IMUA and that you began teaching numerous classes and doing seminars for IMUA. Why is IMUA important to you? What drew you to presenting? And, and we're, we're very fortunate that you did present for IMUA and that you are a big contributor, but what drew you to do that? Well, it's good. I think it's a, it's a good way to kind of network with peers, finding out how the upcoming industry trends and, and just talk about happenings that's happening uh, across a variety of classes of business and just making sure that it's good to take that macro approach and have that greater affiliation. You know, we all have our day-to-day -day responsibilities and managing a desk and or a team for the various carriers or companies that we work for. I think it's really important to be able to take that step back and, and make sure that we're just networking, talking ideas, scenarios, learning from our peers who work at within the industry and are, and are serving and, and are looking for the same results and are servicing the same customers that we are for the greater good of the business. And so really excited about IMUA. Uh, for anybody that's listening and, and is new to it, welcome. I think that you're on a great path and you're on the best segment of this business here. And, and you should feel excited about that. It's a hidden gem, right? <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Because it, it took me a while to stumble across it. Mm -hmm. But uh, 
once I did, this is really where I like to cut my teeth and really brainstorm, come up with ideas and solutions and uh, and network again with, with my peers within the industry. Last year, you presented a webinar on lessons from losses learned from a crane loss that took place in Florida. When a loss takes place, it's not always first foremost on an insurer's mind to use that loss as a learning opportunity and come up with key takeaways that could prevent future similar losses. Can you briefly reframe that loss again for those of us listening to the podcast today and and share a few nuggets of wisdom from it? Yeah, and thanks for bringing that up. In that particular loss scenario, we had a crane, which was our insured, a crane rental with operator who was doing some work in a residential street and essentially was responsible for removing some power lines throughout a residential neighborhood again. In that particular case, we had a general contractor that we were working for, as well as the power company. And so in that particular loss, there was a puddle of water, a large puddle of water. This risk is domiciled in Florida, but there was a puddle of water that our crane operator noticed was about 30 feet in front of the crane, which gave him an idea that there was ground conditions issues potentially. Our crane operator notified the foreman who worked for the general contractor and the foreman subsequently instructed our operator to move up about 60 feet and to continue the work. Unfortunately, our our operator did heed those directions, move the crane up a few feet, continued with the work, but then the, the ground actually gave way. There was a sinkhole and our crane toppled over and fell into three homes. So pretty, pretty gnarly loss in itself. And as we investigated the claim, you know, the real idea is how can we mitigate that going forward? And without getting into a whole bunch of legal mumbo jumbo, I think the real takeaway in that event is just employee empowerment, right? We had a very experienced crane operator at the job site and the opportunity was once he identified of the hazard within his workspace, he should have felt more empowered to go ahead and shut that job down and really until the ground was going to be properly surveyed or even if the insured had an opportunity to bring in a lighter crane to perform the work. And so while there was multiple takeaways from that law scenario, that was one which we had discussed with the insured. And I think despite the severity of the claim, we were really able to use it as a teachable moment for, for us to get better as a whole. And I say us, I'm talking about us and the insured, as well as our claims department and our risk control department who was all involved in discussing and handling and settling the final payout of that claim. And those teachable moments are so important. In the heat of the moment, you might sometimes overlook that, but definitely very valuable. You also recently presented a session on rigors liability with a couple of your colleagues for the Southeast Regional Advisory Committee's seminar a couple of months ago. Can you also give us a little recap of that session? Yeah, that was a lot of fun to do. So myself, who represented the underwriting department, my current company, and Derek Sather, who was from our risk control, and Ty Silva, who was from our loss control department, we did a presentation on rigors liability. And so I essentially presented some of the topics around the coverage forms, as there is a variety of ways to cover rigors liability. And you think about picking up objects, can accomplish that through an installation floater under the Inland Marine. You can also use a rigors 
policy under the inland or a rigorous legal liability policy under the inland. Conversely, a lot of times rigorous coverage can be picked up under the GL, general liability portion of a policy, and also run up through the excess, just depending on how the policy is structured. So I essentially approached the time, which is kind of a macro education on the various coverage forms and maybe how they're used uh, in a couple of different scenarios. Derek Sather, who again is a a former rig master and was able to kind of go into the how-tos. And I think that's really where the presentation took off, but just really discussing the hows and some of the logistical considerations when lifting objects or even the picking of straps, right? And, And the right sorts of load securement, again, depending on what's being lifted. And then Ty Silva was able to finish off the presentation by just going over some loss scenarios that uh, we've seen as a company that were related directly to rigorous liability. And so I've had a lot of fun putting that together. And I think, as I just described in the large loss, what do we learn scenario, being collaborative, right? And working with claims and loss control, continually learn off of each other and feed off each other is so key. And we had a lot of fun putting that together and are eager to do another presentation when the opportunity presents itself. Yes, I definitely see a webinar on that topic on the horizon for you, Ty and Derek. Yeah, a lot of fun. And thank you for approaching us about it. And Jason, thank you. This has really been great. I've thoroughly enjoyed today's conversation. Thanks also to everyone listening to today's podcast. Thanks, Lillian. Thanks for tuning in to On The Move, a podcast series presented by the Inland Marine Underwriters Association. To access additional podcasts, professional development opportunities, and our technical library, visit us at www.imua.org.